0: Hello and welcome to the Leaders Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us here today in a rather deserted Westminster as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. I'm Scott Chaloner and today I'm joined by Josh Wilson. Josh is the Managing Director of Wilson Worldwide Productions, a London-based and award-winning TV and film production company. Uh, Josh, welcome, great to have you with us on the programme today.
1: Thanks very much, Joe.
0: Thank you for having me. Um, absolute pleasure, Josh. Um, now, I understand that you were actually listed as a Forbes Under 30 Most Influential People in Entertainment um, in 2018, weren't you? Now, considering that this podcast is all about leadership and effective leadership at that, I'd love to know some of um, the secrets that went into that success. Um, yeah,
1: In regards to getting on the list, I think... Um <clears throat> I think ultimately, a big part of it was trying to figure out a way to allow the the company to look better, essentially, than it was to to start with. I think that was really a big part in it, and figuring out a way to to do uh, deals that were quite, um, how can I put this, quite robust and that suited everyone. I think that was the really most important thing to be able to bring a lot to the table, um, because when you're dealing with, with the big companies, we were, you know, when we first started, Sky and and some of these massive brands, Tough Mudder and major, major boxers, and you know, to deal with a lot of those things, we had to, uh, we really had to make sure we came across obviously as professional as possible. We, we obviously put uh, uh, a really strong team um together also on every production that we did um and i think you know we had to execute and innovate accordingly in order to get a lot of those deals done um which is why we had a really successful um year year to two years after we got some, some initial investment in um really really important all of those things i think it was just continuing that trend and and trying to make the right decisions in order to, to lead the company in the best way possible, and obviously, um, I was very lucky that some um, people at Unilever noticed that and they recommended for me to, to be on this, and, and, um, and then Forbes saw sort fit of that, that I should be, that I should be on that. So, yeah, really, uh it was a crazy whirlwind two years.
0: Yes, I can imagine it. Um, definitely was. Um, did you um imagine early on in your career then, uh, Josh, that you would eventually end up leading your
1: own business? Um, that's an, that's an interesting question. Uh, ultimately, yes, I was. Um, my first job was in direct sales and marketing. Um, and what I quickly learned from sales and marketing was. Uh, the, ability, the ability to manage people, the ability to manage large groups of people with different personalities, um, in high-pressure tough situations. I, I, I was doing commission-only sales, so if I didn't do well, I couldn't eat, and if uh, if I couldn't teach people um, to do to to do things, where well, I couldn't eat. So, you know, it, it taught me a lot of leadership qualities that I still use today at quite a young age, uh, and that. Really made me understand that there was nothing that I couldn't do if I wouldn't put the time, if I didn't put the time in to learn it. So for this, all I did was surround myself with people that were much better than me at what I wanted to do. I mean, I think people oftentimes take that mindset into granted. If you place yourself in a scenario where you are around amazing people that are doing. Uh, much much better than you at what you want to do and you take their advice and you utilize it you end up being some a kind of consolidation of all of those people's best qualities so that that's all I ended up doing so after I left sales I, I thought to myself what was I wanted to do and and I wanted to be involved in television so I really just took it from there
0: it's really interesting uh, how you talk about that journey and surrounding yourself with people with better qualities, and you learn from them. Um, because a lot of people may think that great leaders are just born with certain innate qualities, but would you say that it's actually more of a learning process?
1: Yeah, well, I, I, I don't think, and especially so. In fact, I think, I think everyone is actually genuinely has genius level intellect. I think what happens is, unfortunately, is either people don't get those opportunities or they never end up doing the thing, they're actually a genius. That's why I always tell the people, I always say to people, sorry, make sure you're, you're thinking constantly about what is it you actually want to do. Don't think about the barrier of entry. Just think about what is it you want to do and then make the plan uh, of how you're going to do it. Because it's very, it was, it was, if I had not done sales, it would been very easy for me to talk myself out of going into television. Because it it just sounds insurmountable. And mm. There's a few things that people really want to put the work in to do, um, and that was something that I could see myself actually wanting to put the work, the the subsequent work in to do. Um, so for me, I, I've never wanted to be known as someone that was particularly, you know, um, uh, you know, a completed product, you know, in regards to, to knowledge or anything on those lines. I learn all the time. It is it is it's the quality that if if someone spoke about me, I don't talk about myself, you know, often, but if it if someone did speak about me that, that would be the biggest compliment someone could give me that I was a really good learner. Not that I was good at what I was doing or anything like that, but that I really took the time to learn and that, you know, I was always, you know, someone that applied and the best technique based on what I was taught and I think that is a Completely correct, well, in, in your insinuation, in, in effect, that um, learning is, is much, much more important. And I think a lot of people that are very accomplished at what they do was because of the subsequent journey of learning, and their mentors were um, and what they, they served in for their environment.
0: I can certainly see where you're coming from, and I can see as well the importance of um, learning from other people. Um, With that in mind, Josh, um, are there any examples of leaders or experiences even that have been an inspiration to you throughout your career as well?
1: Oh, God. (laughs) Well, there's so many. Um, I'm laughing. Uh, There's so many people, it it would be hard to go through them all. I mean, my mother was a great inspiration, you know, just from, from day one. She's a. She was a very accomplished building surveyor, mm. um, and for her to be, you know, and she, my mother was born in the fifties, so for her to be an accomplished building surveyor, you know, we're talking, you know, eighties, nineties, predominantly, you know, a, a female in the construction industry having such a high-powered job was, was quite rare. Um, so I, I had a lot of respect for for being able to break down uh, those barriers. Um, which uh which is not something I've I've ever intended particularly to do, but it's something that I've that that was very, very inspiring to me almost unconsciously and it's something I've always looked up to. Um, there's so many people in the industry, you know, um uh Graham and Mark from, from Grand Team Media, those guys those guys really helped me a lot starting off, um, and it's just there's so many there's so many different executives and, and people that gave me so much time. Um so much of their time to really pick their brains and ask some questions. Um and, and it's those people, it's those people have disrupted and broken through and have um and have been able to really stand out in a, a scenario where A lot of people are saying one thing that they they move towards and doing things in a different way. They were innovative and and they had the tenacity to continue. That is is very, very long, but there's so many people that fall under it from so many different walks of life that have been inspirational to me, um, at least on some level.
0: It's really interesting that you um, name those figures like um, your mother because um, these are people who necessarily um, aren't necessarily rather in the public eye as well. Um, with that in mind, um, I think it is the case that especially in business, a lot of examples of good leadership can often go unnoticed, can't they? Because people think of leaders as politicians, as sports personalities, those sorts of people. So often in a business point of view or even in a family um, perspective, um, it, it can go unnoticed, can't it? People don't always notice good leadership. It does go under the radar.
1: Absolutely. It's um leadership is really something that you, you soak in from from around you. I there's just there's so many little, little kind of anecdotes and quotes that I've been told over the years, such as you know, a good leader is is always a good follower, someone that's able to, to follow and, and, and take instruction and be a good uh, almost like subordinate, I guess be a good number two, be a good second in command, be be good at that. And I think that that trait really carries on into leadership, the concept of listening to people, of taking advice. Um, you know, I I never, and the people that work with me will say this, I never really act so much like I'm in charge, that I'm, I'm their boss in that way. I have a role to do like anyone else. Uh, and I respect mm. people and I want people to be able to to do their job to their best abilities. If I can help them with that, I'll be there to help as an individual. And obviously, there's some things that I have to literally, you know, make a a, a solid decision on. But in general, you know, those mindsets uh, go uh, a really, really uh, important. But to circle back, you know, absolutely, um, leadership. <clears throat> me, leadership as a whole is often overlooked um, on a number of different aspects and. It can be something really, really small um, that you see or, or something that is unique to an individual that ends up being a good leadership trait. But ultimately, it's, it's those people that you end up surrounding yourself with, um, the people you end up surrounding yourself with and what you take in from those individuals. You know, the, the concept of iron sharpening iron and, and being the sum of the parts around you it, that that's a really really important thing for people to to understand, um, and and to be a good leader to have that mindset. You have to be around people that you look up to because, unconsciously or subconsciously, you're you're soaking in a lot of their mannerisms, a lot of what they do, especially at a young age. So, I was very very lucky to be around people that were great leaders of men, especially in sales and marketing, at a, at a, a young age. I you was know, a late teenager, so in the early twenties. So I tend a lot of those characteristics um, that have that, that really helped me to this day. It, 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 it's so important to be able to, to discern and learn from the environment around you um, and to be able to disseminate and action a lot of the things that you see into your own day-to-day life, and obviously in this sense, your, your leadership qualities. And if you can do those things, then you'll end up in a in a situation, as I mentioned before, where you are essentially um, a you know a, a hybrid, of of all the things that you've learned, and that that's the best the best situation that you can be in, uh, in my opinion.
0: I think that's very sound advice for the next generation of emerging leaders as well, and they can certainly take a lot away from that. Um, Josh, I've got to say, um, I'm conscious of running out of time, but before we do wrap things up, um, do give me an idea of what you imagine the next year will hold for yourself or Wilson Worldwide Productions and what you hope to achieve in that time, especially going beyond the COVID-19 outbreak as well and all of that disruption.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's exciting. You know what I mean. I, I always try and flip a lot of these things on their head, and I think it's it's very easy in any uh, situation that is you know negative. There's a lot of crazy stuff happening. A lot of people that we know uh, personally, you know, are passing away because of the virus, and and it's really bad. And that's often, that often, that oftentimes you know a challenge, and and it will present challenges in itself, and so. An important element is to truly compartmentalize what's going on out there, to what's going on in your business or with your work. Um, that's really, really important. And to understand if you're not able to sustain yourself, that brings it a whole wealth of other problems. So to be able to figure out a way around your situation, whether that's through the government or through a new means of working or innovation, and yeah, that's the first thing to figure out. And I think for us, um, we figured out a number of number of ways in order to make sure that we can constantly be developing new productions, new programs, um, some of the great broadcasters we're lucky to have in this country, and obviously abroad as well. Um, uh, in order to to make things work uh, and to keep uh, carrying on, you know, as an indie, um, so so that mindset has to be permanent and that has to that has to carry on. There is no situation where just because we are we have to stay home that we're, we're essentially locked into our own um domiciles that we cannot um innovate and adapt to to, to our, our new environment um which is what we will do um what we can't do obviously is go outside and film you can't go outside and do you know live action film or anything along those lines so What can we do? Can we still develop? Can people still write scripts for us? Can we still get IP to things? Can we still get archived? Can we still sell products? There are so many things that we can still do. So it's about making sure that we're capitalizing on those things as much as we can. Um, We're looking for new markets in terms of what we can do there. And I think it's very important to understand that a lot of people get beaten by this. Um, a lot of companies will get beaten by the concept of this virus and what we're going through in the pandemic as a whole. And you don't have to be beaten by this. You know, you have a you have a choice. And I think people have to realize that if you can find a way to innovate, a lot of your competition is going to truly be struggling. Um, and so people have to really – this is a great opportunity for those. They can figure it out. It's a fantastic opportunity to do well in, in this marketplace. So I think people should see it as a challenge as much as they can, and and try and figure out ways to to be adaptable to their new environment. And once again, if someone can do that, then look at them in an amazing situation for when for when they for when we uh, we leave this pandemic, and we will leave this pandemic eventually, uh, and there will one day not be a lockdown. Hopefully, this year. Um, and, and when that time comes, you want to be able to truly hit the ground running and have been a company that has been able to keep going, uh, and hasn't been, um, kind of strangled essentially too much by, uh, the, um, the circumstances around them. So yeah, we will keep going and obviously we'll make sure that we are, um, capitalizing on any subsequent and opportunities. Um. And that we are continuing to develop and and have been producing great content.
0: Absolutely. And let's hope that business is in a position to continue to innovate because it is those that do innovate and do develop and do adapt that will, of course, um, survive beyond that. Um, I've got to say, Josh, it's been an absolute pleasure um having you on the uh, the programme today. And uh, I think it would be fantastic to perhaps look at getting you back on in a few months' time to look at everything we've discussed retrospectively and see how those hopes would be borne out. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the programme. I
1: appreciate it. Thank you so much, Scott.
0: It's been fantastic. Um, Next up on the programme, we hand over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England cricket legend, Sir Andrew Strauss. I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking to Sir Andrew. Here it is now.
2: Hello and welcome. I'm Jonathan White and today we are joined by Sir Andrew Strauss, former captain of the England cricket team and former director of cricket at the ECB. Andrew, thank you very much for joining us today. have you finally forgiven Marcus Dreskothic for giving you that stupid Lord Brockett nickname? (laughs) Um, Well, my
3: recollection was that it wasn't Marcus Dreskothic who gave me that nickname. Ah. It was actually Mark Butcher. Uh, He's to blame. I think there were a lot of people. It was the senior England teams at Mm. at that time who wanted to sort of put me in my place and make sure that I didn't get above my station. So um, Uh, thankfully, it didn't particularly (laughs) stick other than within those group of players.
2: And you really did try and get on their nerves by getting above your station because, of course, in your first outing, uh, you went on to score 112. Mm. Now, am I right in saying this, perhaps, that you only got there because Michael Vaughan did himself an injury?
3: Well, that was the reason I got on the pitch in the yes. first place. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's often sort of misunderstood or misjudged the role that luck plays in a in an international career or sporting career full stop, and... Um, you know i was wait, waiting patiently in the wings mm. for an opportunity and it didn't really seem like an opportunity was going to come along and then you know i've only got injured in the nets and there was my chance and i had to kind of grab it with both hands if i could
2: and you certainly did what was it like then to uh, see your name being put up on the lord's honour board of your first appearance
3: yeah uh, look uh, i'd just been transported to a completely different world almost I'd been I was a Middlesex player I was Mm. captain of Middlesex all my focus was on helping Middlesex sort of win the championship and whatever and then a week later I've scored a test century which is something I'd always dreamed out literally all my life and then the thought of doing it at Lords in your first test I mean it was literally the dream so and then suddenly I started thinking wow hold on potentially I've got a whole England career ahead of me and everything that entails so It was a real shock to the system. Um, But I suppose what I was grateful for was that I was relatively old, probably not the right way of putting it, but I was 27 years of age. I was pretty comfortable with my own game. And I was also, I think, mature enough to understand um, that this was a great opportunity for me, but not to get carried away with it, which is unfortunately what happens with a lot of younger players. Without a
2: doubt. And I think... In those early years of your career, it's so important, I think you'd agree, especially when you're learning from other more experienced people, and this can be true of any field, whether it's sports or politics or business, um, to have somebody there that you can rely on or look up to for guidance. In those early days, was there somebody that you could say to this day that, thank goodness they were there for you?
3: Uh, Well, I think in preparing me for international cricket, Justin Langer was a massive... um, Mm source of advice for me. So he was captain of Millsets a couple of years beforehand and really helped me understand what I needed to do to get there. Um, But then I think on the day-to-day basis, my wife Ruth played a a huge Mm. role, you know, just in terms of, because I I think there is that real danger that you get carried away with it. And you think international sport in that goldfish bowl that, you know, you're more important than you, you were previously or that that whole world is the real world and uh, and o- obviously all we know is that the real world nothing's changed other than mm-hmm. other people's perception of you
2: and you need that grounding and again that can be true of any uh, so many different areas of life
3: I think so yeah uh, I mean uh, very easy to get caught up in it and end up doing different things being with different people sort of trying to enjoy everything that goes with international cricket rather than focusing on the actual international cricket it's,
2: And itself. in those early days, Andrew, there were lots of examples where you could have got carried away because that team accomplished so much. Um, I think for a lot of people, the 2005 Ashes series is one of the greatest sporting moments of this country's history. Now, we could chat for hours about that, but I know uh, I wouldn't be allowed to, and, and, and you've got <laughs> other places to be, so <laughs> we can't do that, but... I, if i may i would love to ask what your highlight was personally for that but perhaps more importantly um as a team how were you able as a group to deal with the pressure no doubt you were feeling
3: yeah well the the pressure is like nothing else that i experienced before or after because you know i think it's easy to forget how how much of a holy grail the Ashes was mm. back then. You know, we hadn't won it for so long, and it seemed like we'd come up against these invincible Australian teams year after year. So, you know, th- the closer we got to it, the harder it became. Um, I remember Ashley Giles walking into the dressing room, for the, f- I think it was in the final day of the series, and I looked at him, and he looked absolutely terrible, <laughs> like just white of a sheet, grey. He looked like aged about five years. I went, God, Giles, you're not looking too good. And he went, yeah, it's not surprising. I haven't slept for eight weeks. <laughs> and I went, well, join the club. You know, and I think we'd all been sort of living this behind our own closed doors. And, um, yeah, it was just an extraordinary thing. And uh, without doubt, the the highlight was, number one, drawing that game at the Oval yes. to make sure we 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 won the Ashes. But also the day after, you know, that open-top bus parade around London and... To understand that we'd broken out of the cricket bubble, that just general sports fans or just people that were interested in in seeing England win at something were all engaged and uh, completely besotted by the whole thing. I think that's
2: such a key point, says there's, there's so there were so many people back in two thousand five that may have not even given cricket a second glance. And it put a whole new generation, especially of children, and school kids, into loving that sport. And so beyond the actual Competition itself, what a fantastic thing to be able to say was accomplished for for absolutely Uh, uh, everything you say there is absolutely right. Like, we we
3: just sort of opened the doors of cricket to a whole new generation, but probably more importantly, it was the one and only time in my life that I got papped outside a nightclub that (laughs) night when we were (laughs) celebrating. You know, I felt like I'd really arrived as a celebrity, it only happened for that one night, unfortunately.
2: But uh, I did ask for a highlight, and if you didn't perhaps give a specific one on the pitch. uh uh, so i would suggest perhaps that catch at trent bridge
3: no no (laughs) no i mean the the catch at trent bridge was uh, you know you see a ball you stick out your hand and it goes in i think um my personal highlight was i scored 100 in that fifth test match under real pressure and that that was one that you know that that wasn't a moment that was a, a number of hours and i had to dig pretty deep to do that
2: now Obviously, not that long later, uh, and you were lucky enough and privileged, I'm sure, no doubt, to serve as captain. And whether you like it or not, you become the focal point of criticism. Uh, You looked on, up to, and relied upon to be strong, especially when the going gets tough. You become a leader in many senses of the word. Uh, During your time as captain, what qualities does one require to fulfill that role? Um
3: well a fair amount of resilience for starters mm. you know you're absolutely right you, you know I, I remember when I, I got the role it, it did feel like th- the biggest sort of poison chalice of all time and that you know the <laughs> yes. sort of a litany of england captains had sort of been churned up by the job prior to me taking over so th- there was that sort of realization this is going to be a tough thing to do um, and you're going to have to dig pretty deep but i think actually the most important thing was sort of just pushing all that noise to one side and just clarifying, okay, if I'm going to do this job, what is it that we really want to achieve out of this? Mm. And so you, th- th- suddenly that becomes a bit more exciting and a bit more enticing, the idea of, well, we can do something that's never been done before here and I've got the opportunity to to play my part in that. So, um, you know, I think that, w- that was a big part of it for me. Um, you know, I think a lot of those qualities around leadership I don't think you know you have them until you're in that
2: situation, and it's very
3: hard to prepare yourself properly for those situations.
2: Um, and when managing a team, uh, you're required to manage, of course, what some people could call big personalities; others could use different shorter words. <laughs> How poisonous can it be, players? When players, and indeed, and this applies again to so many different areas of life, when individuals um, think they are perhaps more important than than a team.
3: players' focus and interest, Um, and we had to move – in fact, we didn't have to move at times. We needed to get ahead of the time. (laughs) So, you know, we had to completely shift out both our philosophy but also the way we played in order to do that. Um, And I was very lucky uh, having both Trevor Bayless and Owen Morgan who were prepared to sort of role model that and lead that through. Um, And the second part of your question around – the World Cup final was quite extraordinary.
2: I know some fantastically avid cricket fans who were googling there and then what exactly the rules became. Because I, yeah, well, so were <laughs> I, <was> I actually, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, now, and in you, in your wife's memory, you established the Ruth Strauss Foundation last year. Uh, in doing so, whether you'd admit it or not, yourself and the foundation has become an inspiration to thousands husbands and wives, mothers and fathers, sons and daughters. Please do take some time if you wouldn't mind, and you
3: so after she died in december uh, 2018 uh, i came back and launched the foundation with two f- focuses number one to fund research into these rare forms of lung cancer these mm. are the non-smoking lung cancers um five to seven thousand people each year in this country are diagnosed with these no one knows why they're getting them um but they're on the increase and it's women